0: so it stinks down here uh yes and then of
1: course my audio interface died today uh wait are you downstairs in the within the with the dead rat i am yeah wow you're podcasting with a dead rat you betcha hey that's a good
0: podcast name too in the ceiling or in the wall somewhere i'm here
1: with my dead rat my air purifier we'll call mortimer 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 (laughs) the dead rat
2: believe me i would much rather be doing that than some of this crap that Enough. i've been doing
1: yeah and it sounds like you're what are you working on your taxes over there's oh, like a lot of envelopes I, opening over there what's yeah going on? you know
2: what like i'm i i'm so i'm i've everything has been about multitasking lately and it's just it uh, uh, honestly it's it's getting it's a little it's it's darkening. two more weeks
0: two more Depend weeks two more weeks and you get some me time uh, what happens in two weeks on the 18th, she's on vacation. Oh, okay, right. Yeah,
2: I'm go- I'm so I'm gone from the like the 12th oh, yeah. to, there you to go. the 19th. Where are you but, going? But um, <laughs> San Francisco and Tahoe.
1: San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. Cool.
2: But yeah, there is a there's always a big but <laughs> when it yeah, comes yeah. to my plans. No, I'm. uh I, It's going to be a little bit, or I should, or it it is going to be a working vacation. I've got oh. to bring all my equipment with me, and um so I've equipment. Yeah, yeah i gotta bring i, I, gotta, I don't even think I, I know
1: what liz does but now i'm thinking like are you like some sort of a dominatrix or something like you have like
2: <laughs> whips
1: and like the, that would explain <laughs> actually a lot of our conversations on this show
2: i should be i miss my calling
1: yeah you have another podcast we don't know about
2: i would be a really
1: yeah i think you would oh no dominatrix i no, say i was gonna I'd be say, very, was gonna say the other thoughtful. way around i was like you'd be
2: Hmm. what are you gonna say say <laughs> it she is Let's so say spankalicious
1: some...
2: <laughs> she's got some rage to let out exactly
0: <laughs>
2: recording in progress
1: Welcome to another episode of AT Banter. <laughs> uh, this, is, uh, this is of course the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversations about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Fleury. Hello again. Uh, And also here with us, once again, the lovely Blizz Malone.
2: Thank you, Rob. Hello. Uh,
1: And of course, we have Mortimer the dead rat, (laughs) who is currently uh, holed up somewhere in Ryan's basement wall. Yes. Making Ryan's life very interesting.
0: Indeed. Very smelly anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm telling you, everybody. It seems like everybody on the show today is, uh, is working through some issues. So, it's a miracle that this episode is happening. The show <laughs> must go on. It must go on.
2: This uh, is however, the, uh, the episode of Troopers for
1: sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Should we
0: start playing uh, that, as Super Trooper?
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. Or Trooper. Uh, or trooper. What's that? trooper song. Raise a little hell. There you go. Or is that, was that, were they, were they the, the, uh, we're here for a good time. Not a long time.
0: Yeah. And boys in the bright white sports car. Yeah.
1: see. There you go. Lots of trooper songs. (laughs) Sorry. You have to be Canadian to get any of those references. Um, And old. You have to be old and Canadian. Uh, and, uh, we have no Steve Barkley, which is why, of course, there was that big pause with no banter banter because he's currently in holding hell, uh, Trying to get through to his bank um, to do something. So uh, we're going. We're going no Barkley today. Bark oh. Barkless. Bark free. Bark free. Yeah, we're bark free. That's okay. Uh, how are you guys? Other than uh, really hot and uh, in a really smelly environment. <laughs> <laughs> With I'm dead, dead rodents right. that may or may not be giving you the plague as we speak. Ah, it's all good.
2: He's a trooper. He's a he's a trooper, eh?
1: COVID didn't get me, either will the rat. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm sure the plague, I'm, I think we can cure it. I think. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they have a vaccine for that or if we got that as kids, but maybe. But we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> anyways, hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Why don't you tell our audience uh, what the heck we're doing today? Today, we
0: are joined by Mark Workman, who is the Chief Executive Officer of World Blind Union. Welcome, Mark.
1: Hi there. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us.
1: So I guess, I, I mean, I have to start off by saying uh, this, Mark is so dedicated to this podcast. <laughs> he he currently is doing this interview uh with covid um yeah. so it's true have- but
3: i would i would rather have covid than be on hold like barclay <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's true that is true <laughs> it's less annoying that's for sure i tell you know and just go on a little mini rant uh because that's what we do around here but like does that not annoy everybody else that like no matter where you call these days you you always get a phone tree like you never yep. you never phone somewhere and just have somebody pick up and say you know hello
0: Unless you call Canadian assistive technology for tech
1: support. Yeah, well, so there you go. Way to way to work in a plug. If you yeah. like that, <laughs> if you want to talk to Ryan directly. You, you can you can get straight through to him. Usually. Usually. I'm working on that phone tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's only not there because you haven't figured out how to do it. That's right. Um, all right. Well, listen. Wh- let's get serious. Why don't we start out, Mark, and maybe you can just give us a little bit uh, of, a, of a brief snapshot of just uh, what um, the, the organization does and what sort of its mandate is, and how you got involved.
3: Yeah, I can. Um, I'll give a kind of a high-level summary, and then we can drill down if, if there's anything that interests you. So. The history of the WBU is that it was founded in 1984, so it's almost 40 years old. Uh, But it was actually created when two other organizations came together. So there was an organization called the World Council for the Welfare for the Blind. And then there was another one called the International Federation of the Blind. And the first one was more of a service provider organization. It was a collection of service providers. Second one was a collection of advocacy organizations. And I gather that they actually didn't get along too badly, which is somewhat surprising given how service providers and advocacy groups get along, uh, at least here in Canada. And so they decided uh, that because of the duplication of efforts that they were experiencing, that they would uh, come together. And they did that in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, of all places, in 1984. So we've existed in this form for the last 40 years or so. Now, the... Secretariat, as we call it. So that's where, like, you actually have paid staff. Uh, That's much more recent. It started in around 2007, 2008. So, um, for the first, you know, uh, whatever that was, 20 plus years, it was pretty much all volunteer run. So, they would elect um, table officers, they would elect boards, and those boards would do all of the work. And they decided um, to actually put a little money aside and hire some staff to help make sure that the mandate was being fulfilled. And that happened around 2007, 2008. And there's been three CEOs uh, since then. The first one was Penny Harton and she was in charge of the organization for about 10 years. And then a gentleman named Jose Vieira between 2018 and 2022. And I recently joined just over six months ago in January of, of this year. So that's a bit of the history. I'll really quickly share the, the what we do. And I think of it as in two broad categories. One is advocacy and the other is capacity building. So for advocacy, we would be involved in uh, representing or advocating for blindness issues at the international level. So sometimes that would be with a United Nations body, like the World Health Organization or UN Habitat, or it might be going to A major international conference like the World Urban Forum 11 that we recently attended in Poland. The second category would be capacity building, and I guess I should pause and just say that World World Blind Union is actually an organization made up of other organizations. So CNIB, an organization you're probably familiar with, is a member. So too is National Federation of the Blind in the U.S. and several hundred other organizations around the world would all be member organizations for the WBU. And so under that capacity building bucket, we are basically trying to support our member organizations to empower them so that they can do more work, be stronger advocates, provide better services in their local countries. And we might do that by providing training, workshops. So Marrakesh treaty is a good example. This is the treaty that allows for cross-border sharing of accessible materials. So we might provide a series of workshops on what is the Marrakesh Treaty? How can you uh, use it in your home country? How can you advocate for its ratification if your government hasn't yet adopted it? And we, we provide that type of information and support with the hope that organizations in the local community can further their own advocacy interests at home. So that's sort of like a quick summary of the history and the, the big buckets of work that we do.
1: So now, do, does it sort of work as a little bit of a, a network between all the different organizations? Like, do they quite often come together and talk amongst themselves and, and share advice and resources? Or is it, is it mainly sort of you know, centered where, where you're providing the, the resources to them?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. I would say it's both, um, but we could do probably better in both areas as well. So we do have something called the General Assembly, which takes place every four years, where delegates would come from countries all over the world to a specific location. In 2016, it was in Orlando, Florida. In 2020, we intended it to be in Madrid, Spain, but that was June 2020 and so COVID put a stop to that. So our General Assembly was delayed a year and was primarily virtual. There was some small elements that were in person in Madrid but it was largely uh, a virtual General Assembly. But that's that's something that happens every four years and that is an opportunity where um, countries can make connections and, and learn from each other and, and participate in conversations. The other mechanism that we have to allow that is we are divided up into regions. So um, that helps by having a little bit of um, a collection of organizations or, and countries that are closer geographically. So I won't, um, I won't rattle them all off, but there are six regions. And right now we're in, because I'm in the US right now, we're all in the North America Caribbean region. So it includes Canada, US, and a lot of the Caribbean countries. Um, and so those countries, those regions also have their own um, ways of meeting with one another. They, ha- they elect their own uh, kind of governance, their own presidents. So the current North America Caribbean region president is Kim Charleston, who was a uh, president with ACB, the American Council of the Blind and currently works for Perkins. And so the, the regions I think also create another opportunity for countries to collaborate more with one another. But I said that I think we could do better. Um, we're, we're working on a couple of other things. We're working on an online platform or tool that will hopefully facilitate some collaboration and, and we're working on improving our communications as well. Like we, we've invested a little bit of money in our last budget to improve our communications and for me that involves not only us communicating out to the world because a lot of people have no idea who we are but also communicating uh, or like allowing or enabling organizations that want to get in touch with us to have more opportunities. And then the third piece is helping make, maybe facilitating conversations among organizations. Cause I think they do want to help each other. They do want to learn from each other, but, um, and if we can play a role in helping make that happen, then I think that's sort of our responsibility.
0: I find it interesting that, you know, I, Don't think I had heard of World Blind Union up until the concert for Ukraine was launched. You know, here in Canada, like you mentioned, we have the CNIB, the CFB, the CCB, all these different organizations, but I hadn't been aware of World Blind Union. Is that kind of how you guys want it just to kind of be in the background and let these local organizations take care of most of the meat? Or would you rather be more in the public eye? That's an interesting
3: question. Uh, I I mean, it's interesting to me, too, because we are headquartered in Canada. So mm-hmm. the fact that uh, Canadians aren't aware of us, for me, that is a concern. I I, I don't, definitely don't think we should be um, stepping on on the toes of other organizations sure. or interfering in their work, but I would love it if more people knew that we existed and knew what we were all about. Um, I've been doing some presentations here at the American Council of the Blind, uh, virtually because of COVID, Uh, but a couple of times people have asked like, how can I as an individual get involved in WBU and what you do? And that's a little tricky right now because we're an organization that's made up of organizations. So it's typically through your organization um, that you would get involved, but I'd I'd be interested in figuring out ways or thinking of, of ways that individuals can have a bit more of a role. Um, and maybe it's with respect to influencing what we do or providing us with their input, um, that, that kind of thing. So personally, I would like it if we were more well-known. And I think, I think that's one of the main reasons the, the board is interested in investing in communications is so that we can um, raise our profile a little bit, cre- create a stronger brand. Uh, our website needs to be redone. It's, it's quite out of date. Um, and so, and our, our social media could all be improved. So, um, yeah, we don't want to advocate in countries at the local level. But right. if we increase our the strength of our brand, that will only help us advocating at the international level, which is where we are probably the most suitable organization to do that—to go to the UN or to go to the World Intellectual Property Organization. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense for an international body that's not tied to a country right uh, like us to be do, having those conversations right makes sense
2: now does your organization do its own uh fundraising or is it is this organization are you funded by the different member organizations do they pay some sort of dues like what's the what's the uh, i guess the monetary um structure for you know where this funding is coming from
1: mm-hmm
3: the uh, there's multiple sources, uh, so the, one of the main sources would be membership fees, and it's based on a relatively complicated formula that has to do with population and also has to do with um, the different rankings your country might have uh, from UN agencies. Um, so whether you're a high income or a low middle income, etc., like there's four different categories that you might find yourself in and that and then there's a number of delegates that you receive based on your population and so i I won't go into the detail any more than that Mm because it's uh, (laughs) frustratingly confusing but based (laughs) on that formula there's a certain membership fee that you're charged each year and and then we leave it up to the the organizations within that country to figure out who's going to pay for it Um, because it doesn't have to be that they split it down the middle um, in Canada it's CNIB and CCB they may or may not split it down the middle um, it may be that one of them pays pays for the membership fee but still supports CCB's participation um, just as an example right. so so that's that's one way um, we also do recognize that not every organization will be able to pay that and so there are opportunities for subsidies and, and reduced fees and that sort of thing mm-hmm. that's one one uh, fundraising or gen- revenue generation tool. Well the other is um, sponsorship where some organizations will give beyond their membership fee and we always are very grateful for that. so there's different levels of, of sponsorship um, you know sort of like this silver gold platinum um, type deal. and so that generates um, a little bit of revenue as well. And then the third way is projects. so we do partner with different organizations. Um, Right now, we've got a couple of partnerships with CBM Global. Um, So this is an an organization, CBM used to stand for Christian Blind Mission, they don't really use that anymore. Um, So CBM Global is a large international organization that works with groups like the WBU um, to do different types of projects. And so we've received some funding through them another one through International Disability Alliance where we partner with them and have received some grants. So those are more project-based uh, funding. So that, that's the main way. What we don't do um, is go out and do fundraisers and mm-hmm. like use advertising, use social media, that sort of thing. Um, and I, it's not something that I've really looked in in depth but i do know that you know one of the sensitivities would be you're now competing with organizations that are members of yours and so that can get a little a little tricky to to balance to balance that
1: it seems to me that that you guys are are in a very unique spot because with so many uh with your involvement in in so many different countries and with so many different organizations globally you guys must have a, a really sort of unique picture when it comes to like how something like accessibility is really doing on a global level as opposed to sort of a local level. Um, sure. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of our local organizations that that are advocates in that space, you know, they, they have their hands full just, you know, trying to, to deal with, um, you know, city districts and stuff, but you guys are, are dealing with things on a global level in multiple different countries Do you guys sort of, you know, record keep or 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 make note of, you know, the different countries and sort of what their level of accessibility might be comparatively to others? And do you try to sort of, um, you know, sort of pour more resources into some of the the countries that that may not have the the types of resources that, say, you know, Canada or the US, for example, might have?
3: I would say, yes, Um, we do things.
1: We've done some
3: surveys um, around employment to, ch- to try to get a better picture of what the employment situation is in different countries. We did a survey near the, early on in the pandemic to understand how COVID was affecting blind people in different countries. And you could sort of break it down a little bit and see the different um, f- impacts depending on where you were in the world. Um, accessibility, I'm I can't quite recall if we have, it wouldn't surprise me, but I I don't think it would be in the recent past um, that we have, but I will say that accessibility is one of the areas, like, um, when I say accessibility, I'm thinking of the way the built environment is designed. That is one of the areas that the World Blind Union has made a priority, and it's partly due to that partnership I mentioned with CBM Global, Um, so we created something called the Global Program for Inclusive and Accessible Urban Development. And um, I mentioned the World Urban Forum which just took place in Poland. So a few of us were there and participating in panels and dialogues. Um, We launched a special issue of a journal on public space that was where the entire issue is dedicated to accessibility and inclusive um, design. Um, So we've done some stuff like that Um, In April, one of the team was down in New York at a what they call a high level meeting at the United Nations and had a chance to address the General Assembly and talk about accessibility um, and that sort of thing. And there were 700 mayors that were present that were hearing um, that message. So we do that type of stuff. Um, Now, you know, you might hear that. And if you're like me, you might think, well, that's all well and good. But like, how does going to Poland at this huge international event, or going to New York at the United Nations, like, how does that actually translate to helping someone in Rio de Janeiro, or Nairobi, or something like that, Uh, which is a totally fair question. And the way I think about it is really there, it does need to be a two pronged approach. Like there's a lot of value, I think, from us being in front of these large gatherings. The World Urban Forum, um, it had 20,000 people register. I don't think that many actually showed up, but it it was definitely thousands and thousands of people. And some of them would be city planners or urban developers, like urban planners. Um, Some of them would have been mayors and things like that. And so getting a message out um, in, in those types of venues is definitely helpful. But then it really needs to be paired with the second prong, which is like working with our members to you know, so that they understand what messages are we communicating. How can they reinforce those messages at home? How can they advocate um, in their local communities? And so I think once you're once you're doing those two um, two approaches, then I think you can really see some some positive differences that are that are made.
0: So Mark, is there any follow up that's done by? you know, let's say a local organization, if you've got 700 mayors showing up to a meeting, is there any follow-up to see if they've got more questions or want more information?
3: Partly, I think we do need to to tackle this question. And uh, what we call it is the challenge of localization because we have all of these great international frameworks um, where they, they actually set out a lot of really key requirements and recommendations and that sort of thing, but we want to localize it. So we want to translate it into actual change at the ground level. So so the last couple of months have been a bit of a whirlwind uh, with, with travel, <laughs> yeah. uh, but our next step is to, to sit down and say, okay, now we've launched this journal, for example. It's got tons of useful articles, information, um, I reviewed one of the articles it was on shared spaces so you know these um, environments where cars and pedestrians and cyclists are all meant to uh, live together in harmony um, <laughs> and um, and it points out a lot of the challenges that blind people experience in these environments and and so now we've got research academically peer-reviewed research that organizations can start to use so the question is like okay well how can we support them we can't just you know, here's a link, uh, have at her, right? You know, like now you have all you need. Mm-hmm. I think instead what we need to, what we are planning to start doing and have started a little bit in other contexts is, especially now that we're much more comfortable with this technology is like different Zoom webinars where we are where we can go through the article, we can sit down and say, look, we're gonna do a webinar on shared space. If this is an issue in your community, join us. Um, if you can't join us, we'll record and you can find it on our website. And we will um, walk you through what, what some of the findings are, what some of the recommendations are, and we can just talk through, like how can you use this in your local community? So all of that is stuff that we've, like I said, we've started to do some webinars, um, but we're going to really ramp that type of stuff up. Right.
1: Well, and I think that that is, is such a valuable thing as well, because, you know, if you really think about it, a lot of the the local organizations, I mean, they have their hands full just dealing with providing resources and and services on a local level. They don't have time to do, like you know, wide sweeping surveys or, or come up with um, you know suggestions for standards or policies and stuff like that. So in a way, you know, that that is is most certainly helping like attacking things on that macro level. Like somebody really needs to be doing that and then feeding that. To the local organizations that so that they can take that and use that um to petition you know government or or um say local districts for for some really you know key changes um yeah. in things like the build environment um yeah. so you know i think that and I, I really feel like that's kind of something that that is missing within uh, i would say right across the board um in terms of like disability um, there's there's just so many different organizations servicing particular populations that it becomes a little bit overwhelming to to really try to navigate that or to really really get things done um on a on a political level like we need to happen uh, to really you know sort of drive home, say accessibility, for example.
3: Mm-hmm. I do think that's right um to the extent that we can build some bridges or get some groups aligned. Um, That's a key role we can play. The other thing that I think that really no other organization is likely to do is to share things that are working well in one part of the world with other parts of the world. I mean, of course, everyone will go on social media and they're put up on their websites and they'll share like all the great work that they're doing, which is great. But like we can play a role of saying, look um, to this organization in this part of the world, You know, we know which problem, which challenges you're facing, and we actually know that there were some successes in Canada or the U.S. or, um, or. And I don't want to suggest that all the successes are going to come in the Western world either. It might Mm -hmm. be that something really great is happening in Bolivia, and we can share um, that successes from that country with others around the world. And like I said, I don't think that any other blindness organization is going to to take on that role. So that's one that I think we own. And then, and like I say, that I think we can do better at, and I'm hoping that, you know, in the next six months, as we really, um, uh, the investments in our communications, as they start to pay off, we'll see a lot more of, of that type of work being done.
0: I have a question for you. All right. <laughs> and that that don't know this. <laughs> I don't know if this falls into your court or not, but recently there's been talk about, the blindness community and car manufacturers and how they want standardized audible signals from these cars. Mm-hmm. And the manufacturers are kind of putting up their hands saying, no, we're gonna do it our own way. And you know, with traffic congestion, with the cuckoos and the peep peeps of the audible signals, we're gonna have hybrid cars chirping and tweeting and cackling down the roads. Are you guys involved in any of that conversation?
3: Um, Not so directly like you i follow it i've i've heard of a lot of the conversations and a lot of our members are um it's again i have to i will have to play the the new card uh, a couple of times in this in this conversation so i i wouldn't be surprised if in the past we had some involvement you know one of the questions i would have is is there any international body that has authority in this area or really is it up to the countries and the car manufacturers, like the 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 national governments, to right. make these rules. And I feel like it might be yeah. national governments, and that's often the case. Like the international bodies, they set out frameworks, they put out recommendations, but it's it ultimately up to national governments right. to to adopt those standards or those or those recommendations. And that's probably what's happening here. I do. I think. You know we would probably all want to have something standard across from country to country so that you're not uh, <laughs> guessing from one country to the other i was in actually i was in poland and they have some accessible pedestrian signals and i ended up having i was a really fortunate i had the opportunity to meet with our polish member there and we went out for lunch with a few of us and i was just remarking that oh that like your audible signals are very different and they said yeah and it, it, they change from whatever part of the city you're in from one to the other yeah you'll get different yeah. signals um so they're having trouble um standardizing them across like cities um mm-hmm. and, and when i was in new york as well like it was it was quite different um and that's you know it just makes it a little tricky because mm-hmm. now you have you're going to a new city you're used to the cuckoos and the chirps and you know what they mean you get to a new city and you're like okay it it sounds like a machine gun does that go or does that stop (laughs) i
2: I was gonna you know that machine gun sound that says it's that i guess it's supposed that means it's okay to cross
0: run (laughs) i I, well i i'm
2: like that that signals me duck and roll or you know take cover but i i was wondering like who 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 comes up with some of these like yeah machine guns
3: Wow. In Poland, exactly it would—it would, what it it sounds would, like. it would wow. speed up, and I thought that's meant. Oh, to, like, geez. You're, you got a—you're like—you're getting close to the end of the cycle, but someone told me no. That like, it, it starts out quicker and then it slows down. Oh, that I'm like, do
2: Did a communist also. country come up with that? <laughs> like <laughs> the machine gun sound effect? Like move your butt, move your butt across the street. I was like, oh my god! Yeah. But I had to. Yeah, that was one I had to get used to.
0: See, we need standards. yeah Yeah.
2: well you know and we we talk about this a lot on this program that when it comes to getting consensus from the blind community and i would love to hear mark your your perspective on this is that it's the like the blind community i feel like we're like herding cats you know we can't agree on anything we're all going in different directions we all feel like we there are different priorities and and different solutions so i'm just wondering like I mean and that's sometimes just on a more of a like a national level but i mean on a on a global level is it, it are you seeing more consensus than what we see on the ground
3: i don't think so someone jokingly said it's not blind <laughs> it's not blind welfare it's blind warfare and <laughs> the organizations are are often um fighting against each other now i think i think it tends to be within country though um where you will see a lot of that um, disagreement, um, so yeah, so like I haven't had the fortune of attending a general assembly yet, um, so I'll be looking forward to to what that looks like and how much consensus there is. My understanding is sometimes there ends up being different blocks that vote together, um, countries that are you know similar in geography and that sort of thing will will kind of block together to vote for for certain things. It's, again, it's not something I've experienced, but um, something that I've heard from just speaking to people who have gone. Um, so I I think it's not unusual for um, some disagreements, but hopefully, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's a little easier for us because we are talking about some of the bigger picture issues, and and like as long as we can get some consensus on some of that stuff, then. The little disagreements um, can be dealt with within the country, uh, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know for sure. It it, it seems to me like that um, the closer you are as a group, the more your disagreements kind of they, they don't matter as much, but they become much more important um, to you just to 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 um, differentiate yourself from the other group. We see that definitely here in in Canada, in my experience.
0: So in the U.S., they have the ADA. In Canada, we have a framework for an Accessible Canada Act. What does that look like around the world? Are there other acts in place or standards in countries that are looking at the different acts and implementing their own?
2: Mm -hmm.
3: There are. um, And some of them have been in place for a while. I used to study this a little bit back when I was in university. So I know, for example, that the UK had one kind of in the 90s Australia had one quite a long time ago, um, but the European Union is just about to, it's either, I don't I don't have the details at my fingertips, but it's either just about to come out or just recently did come out. And my sense, again, from not having studied this one in depth, is that it's probably gonna be one of the stronger ones. It's probably gonna go beyond um, the ADA. Um, so we might see, and because it's affecting such a large swath of the population, like all of Europe, it will probably have positive impacts for us in in the same way that I think we benefited from ADA um, existing, you know, nearly 30 years before Canada um, finally passed. (laughs) So, so yeah, I, I think we're seeing, we're seeing some there. I've heard other countries talk about it. My view, it's crucial. Like I, I mean, we're in the challenge of being in Canada, where it's a very decentralized country. That, like, we don't, we not only need one, in at the federal level, every province really needs to have one as well. And unfortunately, Alberta uh, doesn't yet. Hopefully, that will happen. Uh, But, but yeah, it's something that I think is is super important. Um, one of the like short phrases we use that I kind of come back to it and and helps guide our thinking about this stuff is accessibility is a precondition for inclusion. So what we mean by that is like you can have all of the great attitudes about um, disability and, and want to be very inclusive um, and have no, you know um, all the best intentions but if you don't have accessibility you're not going to have any inclusion. You just can't. People need to be able to get around their environments. They need to be able to use websites and things like that um, in order for there to ever be inclusion and so accessibility legislation i think is like a another really crucial um piece of the puzzle but as i say the i think the europe one is is one to watch and to see if they are able to go beyond um the ada which you know it was great in 1990 but um it doesn't include um it didn't really conceive of the internet right back then. um and so i think yeah i'll be very interested to see what that one ends up looking like, and does it end up, um, resulting in some, some positive changes for, for actually the rest of the world.
1: So when you're, um, when you're dealing with so many different countries, how often does cultural differences come into play, um, in terms of interacting with, with the different organizations? Because, you know, every country sort of sees disability in, in a different way. I think so, Um...
3: Again, just with me being relatively new, I don't have a tons of experience, but I was just in a workshop that was organized by the International Disability Alliance. And um, we had a, a session on intersectionality, for example. And that's, I think, a concept that we're becoming more familiar with here in Canada and in, in probably largely Western countries the idea that um, different parts of your identity might intersect in different ways and create unique circumstances. Um, we, the, the people in my group, we broke up into small groups, and the people in my group, one was from the Arab Organization of Persons with Disabilities, and she said, like, I don't, I've never heard this concept. We have no idea what this means. It, it wouldn't really resonate with um, our our folks, So there's just like a different um, perspective on things and I, I don't think there was a hostility to the concept or anything, but it was just it was very um, foreign and new concept to to this individual. And I think, um, I think we could see other situations like that, you know, attitudes towards women are different um, in different parts of the world attitudes towards disability and um, and being sort of out there and independent is a little different in different parts of the world. So it's something that I'm anticipating um, being not a, not a problem, but just uh, a fact that we need to be sensitive to and aware of and not to, you know, I, I, when I, when I got the job, I said during the interview, like one of the issues is that like, I am a white dude from an affluent country who is like heterosexual and cisgendered and all of this stuff. And like, and now I'm dealing with lots of people whose situations and struggles I can't easily identify with. You know, I, I grew up relatively poor um, in Canada, but still relatively poor in Canada. It can be um, quite wealthy compared to poor in South Sudan um, right. or places like that. And so I was I try to be sensitive that like um, not to impose or just think I have all the answers or anything like that and to recognize that people may be at different stages in their journey. Even my thinking about disability um, evolved big time from like, and largely I would say through my, through my education. Before I went to school, and before I started volunteering with advocacy organizations, my attitude was like most people's just pretty negative about disability and, and blindness. And it really evolved um, through exposure to different blind people, through exposure to different blindness organizations, and in my case, through acad- academia as well, made a, a big influence on me. And so people's you know, attitudes and things like that can evolve. And it's just about understanding where people are at and, um, and providing information and, and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, I, I haven't experienced a ton of it, but I do think it will be something to be aware of, especially at our next General Assembly, for example, where you, where you do have hundreds of people from all over the world uh, coming together.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really is fascinating um, because uh, even just knowing what, what I know, which isn't a lot, let's be honest, um, but it seems to me that, you know, just because a, a country is say, a developing nation, that that it's, it's not a, a one-to-one where the more affluent uh, nations have better views on disability because you it it really wealth has nothing to do with it um it's more of a it's more of a cultural thing you could certainly have a developing nation that that they have an an amazing view um on disability they they treat people with disabilities very well it's just that the, the country itself doesn't have a ton of money to throw it at, at disability resources. So, I mean, that must be a really fascinating sort of mosaic to try to knit together under this one big umbrella.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that, and I, what your comment makes me think of is like, some countries are a bit more about community than I think we are in, in some Western right. countries, where we tend to be a bit more individualistic and about um, the rights of the individual and independence, as opposed to things like community and interdependence, and mutual dependence, and, and that kind of thing. I, I do think um, personally, like, I think we could use a little more of that. I understand why our, our countries have sort of developed in that way. And, and communities, communities can be oppressive, for sure. Right. Um, but but also I just, I, I worry sometimes that if we're too individualistic and atomized is a word we would sometimes use in philosophy, like we're just these different atoms all floating around on our own, um, that that's a problem too. And, and we may miss out. Um, and I know in my own like personal life, I've volunteered with our community league with the hope of trying to create more of a sense of community um, in the neighborhood. And I think other countries, ones that may be a little bit maybe developing or a little bit um, less well off, they may also be really strong places for communities and support each other as, as communities rather than um, kind of letting each individual kind of fend for themselves.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think I would, I could, I would almost argue that wealthy countries are actually a lot worse at uh, some of their attitudes because, mm-hmm. because of, of, of that very thing of, of that lack of community um, or of this attitude that sort of, I got mine. So now get off your butt and go get yours.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Rather than we're going to work together and try to make it so that we all succeed.
1: And yeah, that's right.
0: Well, it's not the same level, but you know, look what COVID taught us, right? there were a lot of people with disabilities who weren't able to get out and get groceries who were left on their own. Nobody was checking in on them. You know, the community is needed.
1: And, and actually, that's a that's an interesting segue, Ryan, um, because I, I did want to ask about because you did mention that um, a COVID survey was sort of one of the one of the more recent um, surveys that you you did. What were your findings around COVID, and just how that impacted sort of the global disability community?
3: One kind of interesting finding was the top issue, and it wasn't the only issue, but the top issue that people cited that had been impacted was around transportation and mobility. And so like, if, you might, if you'd if you asked me before, I might've thought it would be something around healthcare, um, maybe isolation or things like that, um, which, you know, transportation and mobility is connected, but that was the most common issue cited. And I think it does make some sense in that blind people rely very heavily on the public transportation system. And that was, Um, radically altered um, during the pandemic. In some cases it was shut down altogether or um, it was services were significantly cut back. Um, We even heard examples of like people were now being asked to board at the back of the bus but that wasn't super intuitive or there's you know only certain seats you can sit in uh, but they're not marked in you know uh, other than like uh, visual ways and that sort of thing. So, we heard a lot about transportation mobility as sort of the main um, issue. Which again, it makes some sense once you once you think about how dependent we are, reliant we are on on that for getting around, and how it, kind of governments and decision makers were fairly quick to um, to eliminate that. Um, so that was, that was one thing. The other um, kind of interesting thing to come out of it is that. It really showed us that um, governments and decision makers didn't really factor in blindness when they were making a lot of their decisions. So I think you know some of the examples around um, those markers for telling people how to walk in stores and things like that, right? Like that, that's not helpful to someone who can't see. Right, um, right. There were things like issues around physical distancing and, and guide dogs really having a hard time with that. Uh, like, I personally didn't experience any major issues, but I heard enough people who who did where people were quite upset with them because they weren't like physically distancing and that sort of thing. So we kind of realized that, um, I mean, and even even tests, for example, the rapid tests I had to do once totally inaccessible uh, process. Um, And like none of that had to be that way. Uh, Like, you could have made an accessible test, there's no doubt in my mind, if (laughs) if you had just put in a little thought into it. And governments could have come up with better policies, if they had consulted with organizations of persons with disabilities, as part of the process. And one of the reason I mention all that is because it's sort of, I think there's a new way of thinking about some of these issues. So you've probably heard nothing about us without us, very common rallying cry for the disability community. And I think it's served us very well. Because for a long time, people would make decisions for us without talking to us. And so nothing about us without us made a lot of sense. But I think we're kind of realizing that everything's about us. You know, if it's a pandemic response, it's not its not specifically about disability, but we're affected. If it's climate change, you know, that's not a disability issue specifically, but we are definitely affected by climate change in unique ways. Conflict in Ukraine. Um, there's, you know, again, people with disabilities are disproportionately impacted. And so this nothing about us without us really has to evolve to nothing without us. Um, It doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but I think the thinking behind it is right, which is like whether you're talking disaster, emergency plans, COVID response, um, climate change response, like all of these things, people with disabilities need to be at the table to avoid what we saw happen during the pandemic, where all of the, a lot of the decisions had negative impacts on people with disabilities, and they didn't have to.
1: Yeah, very good point. I, I probably wasn't a nation on earth that didn't uh, screw the pooch on that yeah. one, because, you know, because a lot of times, you know, those, those COVID policies came into effect uh, so fast, mm. they had to, to really no act time. fast. They, they mm. just didn't, they didn't take the time to really about it. and I mean I could even think of another example. What was that? Wasn't there an app, uh, a travel yeah. app? Arrive. The, the Arrive uh, the
0: Can app, I Ar- think. Arrive was one. Can
1: app mm-hmm. was uh you know was was mandated and it wasn't accessible. Yeah. So you yeah. Yeah, and
3: I I I'm like we'll give a pass on some things. Like you do have to move
1: quickly. um In
3: some cases, I would say like you ideally would have started to think about some of these stuff before Arrive Can. I you if they had just involved some blind people in testing it or if they'd gone to organizations that you know provide accessibility consultant i bet you they could have they could have done it um, sure yeah yeah but yeah. So, i mean okay. i do agree that some in some cases they did move very quickly and um and that's a challenge and but that's a lesson learned Is like okay let's while we're not in a pandemic um which i know we still are but while we're not, you know, while we're not in the middle of a disaster, let's make sure that our plans are including people with disabilities.
1: I, I think that it's, that's sort of an indicator, though, of a problem in the way of thinking, because even if you do have to act fast, they just didn't even think of it. Like yeah. the, the fact that it didn't even enter their minds to go, oh, okay, wait, what about, you know, yeah. the disability community? You know, that's, I think that that's the hurdle that we sort of have to overcome. They, do we just, they just have to, that has to enter their minds whenever they're, they're developing policy or they're, they're doing anything in that. Yeah. In that. Sense. If
3: it doesn't, we're going to suffer for it. Exactly.
0: But on the flip side, you know, we've had this conversation on the show before where the disability group is so vast and so diverse. So it's not just talking blindness. We're talking autistic. We're talking dyslexic. We're talking whatever your disability you know mm-hmm. that's a huge demographic, yeah. and to bring everybody to the table, um, I'm not saying isn't possible, but yeah. that's a large undertaking.
3: Yeah. It, it's true that proper engagement isn't easy. I don't think it's I don't think it's particularly complicated. Um, like we know what to do, but it does require a commitment. It does require time, which you know in some cases they don't have the time, and it does require some resources, right? Right. Like if you're gonna do a proper consultation, you'll have to have a budget for sign language interpretation. You'll have to find a venue that's accessible. Um, You'll have to ensure that blind people can get there relatively easily on public transit. You might have to produce some alternative formats um, so that like there are are expenses associated with it. So I don't wanna suggest it's easy, but I also don't Mm -hmm. think it's particularly complicated and anything that can't be
1: done. Yeah. And I mean, I really think that, you know, at the end of the day, really all it, all it also requires is just having some accessibility consultants around that, you know, can raise the red flag when, when something like arrive can gets developed, you know, just all it takes is one guy in, in one meeting to be like, Oh, Hey, incidentally, we should probably make that accessible too. Right.
3: That's one um, reason why it, it really does help for organizations to employ people with disabilities. Yes, you know, um, they are, you're much more likely to be responsive. And if if you're a government to your citizens, but even if you're just a business to your customers, if some of the employees can flag things um, that, you know, that your customers would be affected by. So it's yet another good reason to, um, to employ people.
0: So originally, I wanted to have you on, Mark, during the time of the concert for Ukraine, though, we're with you concert. And unfortunately you were traveling and that just didn't work out, but where did that fundraiser end up and, and what is happening with Ukraine and the blind?
3: Yeah. I and mean, maybe I'll back up briefly and just um, give a little context around the concert. So um, the invasion happened when Russia invaded Ukraine about a month after I joined the organization. Um, and so it was not something that I had put in my 90 day plan um, and not something that I was uh, really well prepared for. Um, So I ended up having a lot of conversations with different people. People were reaching out to us asking how they could assist, how they could help. um, And being so new, I really wasn't sure what we could do. Um, But eventually we settled on creating a fund. So designating a basically a a line item in our accounting such that any money going to it would be designated for a specific purpose and i'll be totally frank i thought we would raise five ten thousand <laughs> um through this fund and as it turned out uh this concert idea had come up totally independently totally yeah. separately from us developing uh, or designating the fund and Um, Mark Riccobono uh, played a real leadership role, that's the president of the National Federation of the Blind, and reached out and kind of said, okay, well, we've got this concert happening and we've got this fund, the World Blind Union, let's see if we can marry the two together. And, And we met with the organizers of the concert and they were very supportive. They thought, yeah, it makes good sense for an organization like World Blind Union, to be the sort of recipients, um, or at least, I mean, the the funnel, because we're not keeping any of the funds. Um, And so that ended up um, being agreed to, uh, that the concert would go ahead, and then all proceeds raised would go to the World Line Union's Ukrainian Unity Fund. And that took place on April sixteenth. I don't know if if anyone had a chance to listen. I yep. listened the whole um, the whole time <laughs> yeah. and thought it was a really powerful, moving um, experience. Just hearing all the different voices, participating on social media, though so really the whole blind community across the world coming together in support of those in Ukraine who are blind Larn- and partially sighted. And um, and so that day alone, it was you know somewhere in the eighty. 80,000 kind of raised. Um, Altogether, we're at well over 100,000 U.S. I I don't have the latest numbers, but I put it somewhere Uh between 115,000, 120,000 that was raised through that. Um, And so a lot more than I initially planned, which is good. I mean, it means that we have more money to to provide and support, but it's daunting as well because it's a lot of money and a lot of responsibility and we want to make sure we um, provide it in ways that have the most positive impact and and help the people. So um, where we stand at the moment is there are some legal issues. They're not like um, major barriers or anything, but as a registered charity in Canada, we can't easily just say, take this hundred thousand, say, okay, you can have 50, you can have 50 and um, and have at her, right? We, um, be, there are just rules around uh, Canadian charities giving money to to other countries. And so we're setting up some agreements. Um, we're hoping to keep them as, as relatively informal as possible so that there's not a huge burden around reporting and all of that stuff. But at the same time, we wanna balance that with also respecting people's donated money and trying to make sure it gets to the place that it needs. So trying to find that balance. Um, So I've been in conversation with a number of organizations that are in Ukraine or in surrounding countries like Poland, or um, there's a person in Finland who has a charity that I've been in contact with. And so we've identified the organizations, at least some organizations, And um, we're in the process of setting up some memorandums of understanding with them. And the intention is to provide small-ish amounts of funding and kind of see how it works. How well does it work? Does it get to where it needs to go? You know, how, how quickly is it spent? And then we can provide additional funding based on those, we could call them pilots right. um, that we're, we're going to do. Um, since then, we've also actually heard from our member in Ukraine. And that that actually was something we hadn't done um, since 2015. We hadn't really had contact with our Ukrainian member since 2015. And even, I mentioned earlier, we have regions. So one of our regions is the European Blind Union. And even they hadn't heard from Ukraine since mm-hmm. 2020, so before the war Um, But since then, our member has reached out to both organizations, both WBU and European Blind Union and asking for some support. So we're we're going to be able to provide them um, with some financial assistance as well. So so really, um, we are still collecting some of the funds. The National Federation of the Blind um, just uh, recently sent a a checkup to Canada with the funds that they had collected. I'll be going there tomorrow, and I'm hoping that I'll test negative and can participate in some of the um, ceremonies there. Uh, tomorrow, if not, then I'll probably just do it virtually. Um, but but once, like, so yeah, we've now collected a lot of the funds. Once those memorandums of understanding are established, then we'll start to send wire transfers, bank transfers to different organizations. And we'll be, um, very transparent on where it's going and what the money is being used for and sharing updates as we can on, uh, on social media, and our website and things like that. So that's sort of where we stand. I guess one other thought comes to mind is um, we're also hoping to use some portion of the, of the funds. It, in my view, it's going to be a relatively small portion. So maybe 15%, 10, 15% towards longer term advocacy. So what I mean by that, and these are just examples, but like, could we do a video on how to make an access, a refugee, um, center accessible to someone who's blind, or is there a series of podcasts we could do in different languages on how to, um, help blind people when they're in these types of war zones, Right. right? So not, it would, it would benefit people in Ukraine, but it would also hopefully have some longer term. Um, benefits down the road when unfortunately we know conflicts like this are going to happen again. So some small-ish portion I think will be used for longer-term advocacy um, as well. So that's sort of where we're we're at right now.
0: Great. And so if people wanted to donate to that fund, is that
3: still open? It is still open. Yep. So on our website, there's a Canada Helps or a PayPal donation option. And either whichever one you click, there's a way to specify that you want your donation going to uh, Ukrainian Unity Fund, so that is still um, an option. And of course, anyone in Canada, we are a registered charity, so you would get a tax receipt and could get a, take some advantage of uh, any tax credits and things like that as well.
1: Uh, great, and, and uh, sorry, what's the website that if people want to go there?
3: Um, I know the short version we have is www.wbu.ngo.
1: WBU.NGO. Perfect. And we'll, we will make sure that we include a link in our show notes as well. Perfect. Mark, uh, we want to thank you so much for uh, for troopering through this episode. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're probably, I mean, we could probably talk to you for another two hours, but I'm sure you're probably ready for a nap at this point. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> listen, you know, well, we're happy to have you come back uh, one day as well. Uh, I think it would be great to heck. We could just have a whole episode on the Marrakesh Treaty, uh, just that alone, because that's there's a, there's a lot there to unpack as well. Mm-hmm. But listen, uh, best of luck. Thank you for all the work that the organization is doing.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity and have uh, thoroughly enjoyed the chat. So happy to uh, to join you guys anytime.
0: Awesome, great. Thanks, thanks so much, Mark and get yeah, Mark. Better soon. Yeah, yes, that's right. You. We'll thanks, Mark.
1: Thanks. So. Yeah. Bye bye. All right. Well, well, uh I have to tell you so much has happened since uh, Mark left, uh for those people who are curious to behind the, the little behind the scenes peek at uh the AT banter podcast. So, while we were saying goodbye to Mark, uh the, the power in Liz's house went out. Uh and so she is not here, but guess who arrived in the middle of the interview? It's none other than Mr. Steve Barkley
4: what where banter
1: banter. Yeah. Banter, right.
4: banter, banter, banter 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 that's right that's right we <laughs> you you owed
1: us a banter banter because we didn't have it at the top oh uh, let
4: me let me catch up better 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 <laughs>
1: see see i bet you didn't even know that so you don't listen to shows whenever you're not here this is like the the it's like the the fallen fallen pilot formation uh whenever i say at banter there's just a big pause leave a low. he says banter, banter yeah So it's like, it's like leaving an empty chair for a fallen comrade. Oh, yeah.
4: Sad, pathetic, Uh, but, oh.
1: Yeah. So, well, any, so in any case, uh, for the outro here, uh, we'll have no Liz and, uh, but Steve is here. So there you go.
4: We traded. That's right.
1: No, that's a really, that's a really interesting organization. Um, and the more that, that I listen to Mark talk, I have to say that it's, it's kind of crucial like we really do need work done at that macro level um because really if you think about it local organizations don't have the time or the resources or anything else to really work on things um at those higher levels
4: and it's it's interesting to hear how different organizations from around the world interact to um uh, you know how they have different different takes on different different aspects um i'm sure it's uh, i'm sure their meetings are probably just fascinating to to sit in on
1: oh absolutely and i mean it's it's so weird you put any any amount of human beings in a room together and it will inevitably turn into like a power struggle and politics (laughs) will become involved which is a little bit frustrating right like even you know and when we know even here in canada um you know we we have a few uh blindness organizations and we won't name any names but uh you know, I don't think many of them actually get along very well together, or at least I haven't heard of them getting along
0: well, I think they they get along you know they're you can be members of multiple agencies as well, so i I don't know at some point, somebody probably didn't agree, so let's go start our own but
1: well, but I, for a lot of them, I feel like you know they're also fighting over limited resources yes. right. in in ways so you know that's gonna automatically sort of set them set them at odds well
0: what does the government do you know the government's standing on the outside looking and going okay well this agency's saying this this one's saying this this one's saying this like get on the same page and maybe we'll talk (laughs) yeah i don't know
1: but then you multiply that on a on a global level and you have all these different cultures and countries Mm -hmm. coming together like that's just it's got to be such a challenge um i forgot to ask him like how big the actual organization is in terms of like just how many staff um that they have staff and volunteers because it must be huge because to try to juggle all of this uh i mean that's quite the undertaking so
0: lots of volunteers
1: yeah they're they're better humans than us we can barely produce a a uh, a weekly podcast without somebody dropping out <laughs> <laughs> or dropping yeah. in dropping in we got drop-ins dropouts we've got a dead rat uh in in the walls of ryan's studio it's all kinds of kinds of nonsense going on today that's right oh hey that reminds me so did you get through to your
4: bank i finally got through yeah
1: yeah so how long were you on hold for
4: uh a little over an hour
1: Ugh. that's not just too trying to too get bad. through to visa yeah oh but visa you'd think you know come on I just hate phone trees now. I just hate phoning anybody. <laughs> yeah, just don't want to nope.
4: do it. I I hate the message. We are dealing with higher than normal call volume. Oh. Well, wow,
0: that's just a standard line now, right? Yeah. I
4: know. I know. And it 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 has no bearing in reality. No. Anymore. It's like
0: <laughs> We'll get to you when we're ready. <laughs> yeah.
1: And talk about legislating some standards. Can we please get some standards in place? Where is it, if you put somebody if you put me in a a hold or a, or a sort of a hold queue. Uh, you are not allowed to like play the same really bad piece of music <laughs> over and over and over. Like there should be, you need to have at least six different songs. They have to be uh, like no, no light light jazz Vers- versions of police songs. Like no, none of that. Like, at least some of be- them are. At
0: least some of them are giving you the option for callbacks now, so you don't have to sit on hold. You can go about your business.
1: Occasionally. Yeah. But then you know you're going to miss that call. You <laughs> Give just me know your cell that that will happen. You'll just be in the bathroom or something and be like, God damn it. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah, it happens. Uh, anyways, well, uh, I guess all that's left uh, is for the uh, three amigos to do our, do our little outro here. It's been yeah, a while since it. we It's just been we got to have to recalibrate now with Liz gone. Uh, okay. So let me see if I remember how this works. <clears throat> hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Uh, where can people find us?
0: They can find us at atbanter.com
1: See, it really was just like riding a bike. Just fall right back into the habit. That's uh, right.
0: Who needs Liz? That's
1: right. That's right. <laughs> Who does need Liz? Why, why is she even here? <laughs> we love you, Liz. JK, JK. JK I quite like her with like listen- her power out no you know what no oh. don't don't talk <laughs> he's don't talking talk, smack don't talk smack about her because she actually listens to the show <laughs> oh no right. yeah she does yep. you can't you can't get away with anything with her she'll call you back she'll call you out on it next week so, so jk keep, liz jk jk she keeps um, you all um, accountable and that's right and she remembers everything too so yep. she never forgets so uh, hey, uh, where am I? Uh, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at at
4: Yeah, you know what else they can do? What? Well, they can just go and find us on Twitter or Facebook.
0: That's true. That's right. Yeah,
1: that's
4: right. AT Banter. Uh, yep,
1: AT Banter. Stay tuned uh. for the live show. Yeah, you're still planning that, huh? Oh, it's All coming, right. and
0: I'm not even going to tell you guys. We're going to be doing an episode one day, and it's going to be streaming to Facebook Live, and I'm not even going to tell what? you.
4: What? Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. Not even going to tell you.
4: Well, okay. you'd, you'd better because the amount nope. of crap that gets cut out that I say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not saying anything. It's right. going out
4: live. <laughs> At least I hope it gets cut out. <laughs> i listen to you. I
0: never finish,
4: you... listen to the finished
1: product. So.
0: Surprise!
1: <laughs> just use Ryan's account and try to get him blocked by just saying the you most know, obscene things we can think of. Just a live stream of 45 minutes of cursing. Sheep sounds. <laughs> Uh, Okay. Is that it? That's it. Yep. All right. Time for dinner. Uh, That is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, Big thanks to everybody who dropped in and dropped out. Uh, Of course, big thanks to Mark Workman for joining us. And we will see everybody next week.